where I went to school, those, the class that graduated would come up with a yearbook. So our graduating class was in 1947. And there was a yearbook staff assigned to putting together the yearbook. And one of the pages, it had um, different things about likes and dislikes of every member of the class. And there was one column set aside for what would be your goal. Well, I had been playing the trumpet in the high school band and the high school orchestra. And uh, Harry James was popular at that time, so I put under that uh, would-be goal a trumpet player. And the yearbook staff said, no, you should be a farmer. Well, I was neither. But I used that to go on to tell you that when we graduate from high school, we are mindful of our personal responsibility that lies before us. We're reminded that what goal do we want to look for or seek for or engage yourself in. I know my brother, he uh, became involved in sales. And his goal was to be the best salesman for the wherever corporation in his district. He was so good that he had a shelf just littered with trophies that he won as the best salesman of the year. Well, my dad was a dairyman. He wanted to be a successful dairyman, which he finally achieved later on in his, li- later on in his life. And he had one cow that had set all kinds of records. In fact, they were so good that one of her offspring... Dad sold for $24,000, so you can imagine that he did attain his goal. Well, some people, by natural motivation and gifts they are, that are born with, may enter into business, which I did for over 27 years, and the tourist business, some like the medical profession, like Ben Carson. And by the way, do you know our Jimin is going to study to be a doctor? And so we want to pray for this young man because that's a noble noble profession. And then <clears throat> there are other areas, whether it's uh, politics, the Bush family, the Kennedy family, whatever, uh, we do the best we can. And the Apostle Paul used the illustration of sports in the games of competition and the discipline needed to achieve the goal of winning referred to in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. These games, no doubt, were similar to our Olympic, Olympic competition of today. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, as we referred to just a bit ago, um, it's, I wanna, uh, it's the point I want to drive home because he said about how they have to exercise and discipline themselves to, to win the, uh, the goal. And so I want to give a few illustrations about how these uh, uh, men and women of yesterday exercised themselves to, to, to the very limit to get a, a goal. Let's start with, I was seven years old, 1936, and uh, there was a man by the name of Jesse Owens. And the Olympics were held in Berlin. Berlin, 1936. And this 
Jesse Owens, an Afro-American, he won three gold medals, which was unusual for that time. Uh, and he won the gold medal for the 100-yard meter, 100-yard meter dash. He won the gold for the 220-meter dash. And he won the gold for the, uh, the running broad jump. So great was this young man that it just upset Adolf Hitler. He had said the Aryan race is a supreme race, but that's Jesse Owens told him different. So it was a great pleasure for me to, to find that note. Then in a, a, some other sports, um, you take Michael Phelps in 2009 at the Olympic competition. He won something like eight gold medals in the different uh, contests of swimming. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of discipline to win that. And then there's Jack Nicholas. He said he's probably the best golfer uh, in professional uh, uh, golf. He, his motive was practice, practice, practice. And then there was uh, Wayne Gretzky, regarded as the greatest hockey player ever in the NHL. And he said the greatest compliment anyone can pay him is that, that he worked hard every day to accomplish what he became. Well, how about... Tom Brady, seven Super Bowls. I mean, just think how he had to discipline himself to be that good. And then there is uh, one more, Stephen Curry of the NBA fame. He was part of the NBA championships for the Golden State Warriors for several years. But I want you to hear what he said. He said, in the offseason, he would practice three hours a day, six days a week. Just think of that. Shooting the basketball 600 times, 700 times, sometimes 1,000 times. And he said he only counted those who swished the net. Now just think of how he was devoted, devoted to the game of basketball. Having said all this, what did they have in common? What they had in common was to win a perishable goal. And when my dear brother came to his senses, you know what he did with all those trophies he won? He threw them in the garbage can. He threw them in the garbage can. The Apostle Paul, in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25, that was referred to, he reminded the people that their goal was not a perishable goal, but an imperishable goal. And being the human penman of the epistle to the church of Philippians in chapter 1, portray, he, chapter 1, he portrayed Christ as our life. Chapter 2, Christ as our example. Chapter 3, our message today, Christ our goal. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 3, chapter 1, and we'll read the first 14 verses. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted laws for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and here we're beginning our text, and I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Almighty God, speak to us this morning through your word, through your unworthy servant for Jesus' sake, that we can become more like him. In his precious name, amen. The first thing I would like to share with you is his goal. His goal was to become more like Jesus Christ. That was a goal. Now, if we're going to achieve that goal, there first has to be a, a desire to achieve that goal. That has to come first. And we find that in verse 10 when he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conform unto his death. There's four things I want to glean from that. The first thing that we want to know is that word know, that I may know him. It's a Greek word called genosko. It means to know in an experiential way of spiritual intimacy. It's the same word used in Matthew 1.25 where uh, Joseph said that it said of Joseph, he did not know Mary until the Christ child was born. And that word know is the same word, genosko. It's the same word of physical intimacy. And by the way, Christ wants us to know him. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, righteousness, and judgment upon the earth. In these things I delight, saith the Lord. He wants us to know him in that way. Well, you might say, well, why would... The apostles say, here he's in prison after all those years of service. Why would he say that I may know him? 
Then he'd meet the Lord on the road to Damascus. Then he'd meet the Lord when the Lord told him that he was going to be assigned to be a preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. Denied that he'd know the Lord when he received the gospel and the understanding of the gospel, not from man, not from the disciples that followed Jesus, but from the Lord himself. The revelation of the gospel came from the Lord himself. And all those times the Lord appeared to him during his uh, times of ministry, uh, whether it was uh, uh, in the prison, just think of all the times. Yet he said that I may know him. You see how much he realized who the Lord Jesus Christ is, his majesty and his glory and his goodness and his greatness. He wanted to know him better. And think how of all the churches he planted, how would he know the Lord? And so intimately as he planted these churches, he didn't do it on his own. I mention these things to show you that his desire was to know the Lord better. The Lord had showed him much mercy and grace in saving him and much mercy and grace in enabling him to plant all these churches. And, but the God of our salvation, he wanted to know in a more intimate way. I'm going to tell you something right now. In preparing for this message, this message has so got a hold of my heart and soul that I want to be more like Christ than ever before, and that's what I want you to be, more like Christ than ever before. That's what we're here for. Not to just spend time so that when we're done here, we can go to be with him. We're to be more like Christ now so that when we come to be with him in glory, then we can understand his greatness and his... Oh, brother. Brother, let your hearts be open to be more like Christ now. Also, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of our God stands sure, and he knoweth them who put their trust in him. And then in Matthew 7, 21, 23, the, the opposite. Listen to what he says. Jesus speaking, he said, not every man that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, I've done this. I've preached your gospel. I've healed. I've spread the good news. And the Lord will say, Stay apart from me. I never knew you because you would not come under my authority. Many will hear that on Judgment Day. This is a time to be like Christ now. Not in glory. We're not going to be automatically changed in glory. We're to be preparing for eternity now. We're preparing for glory now. Sometimes in the Lord's mercy and grace, he'll put his put us through trials so they can come to know him better. And that was so true of me. I, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for the trial that he put me in this last year. I've known him better now than ever before. And it's so wonderful to know him, to know his presence, to know the joy of his life coursing through your soul. And when he says that the fellowship of his sufferings means that he knew when Christ suffered on the cross, uh, uh, I mean, when when. Christ met uh, uh, Paul on the way to the ma- on the way, uh, on the road to Damascus. What did he say? Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? The Apostle Paul wanted to know the fellowship of that kind of suffering. And then he speaks about the power's resurrection. The power's resurrection is that the power is at the right hand of the Father. And he wanted that same power to transmit it through him as he serves the Lord here on earth. 
Listen, uh, it's the same word used in um, Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power, the dunamis, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That power was expressed by the Apostle Paul in, in, uh, in Romans and in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where, listen to these words. He said in verse 12, 9, well, first in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Christ is called the wisdom of God and the power of God. And then uh, in this verse, on, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Lord said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, dunamis, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power, the dunamis, the dunamis of Christ may rest upon me. Was Apostle Paul wrestling with sin in his life? That he needed that extra power to get free from sin? Well, look what he said in Romans chapter uh, 7. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would that I do not, but what I hate that I do. If I then by which I would not, I consent unto, I consent unto law in me. Pardon me. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would that do I not, but what I hate that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law, then it is good. Now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And then in verse 25, he makes it clear, there's victory in Jesus' precious name. You're, you're battling with sin in life, there's victory in Jesus. Surrender your life to him. He'll give you the victory. You see, that resurrection power at the right hand of the Father is available to each one of us. To each one of us, that resurrection power is available. And that's what Paul was looking for. And that's why we can say, there's victory in Jesus. And oh, precious Lord, it is victory in him. Then there's a fellowship of his sufferings. Not for sin, but for righteousness' sake. As I expressed a little bit before. In 2 Timothy 2.12, his last week before his martyrdom, he said, if we suffer for Christ, we shall also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will de- also deny us. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Romans 8.18, said in Romans 8.18, if joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In another prison epistle, Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, the church. Richard Wurmbrown, Richard Wurmbrown was in prison 14 years and he said sometimes the beatings that he received, when he received those beatings, he said he experienced liquid love, the presence of God in such a way that he rejoiced to suffer because he saw the presence of God in a very special way. Now, I want to read something very sobering to you. This week, I was reading about the suffering of our brethren in Nigeria. Listen to this. In Nigeria, a man by the name of Clement Yusu had his son, his mother, and brother killed by Fulani terrorists. Did he throw in the towel? Did he say, where was God? No, he kept right on strong in the faith. The ministry of the Friends of Israel puts out a monthly publication, and it is a section devoted to persecution. 
As I said earlier this week, I read that since 2009, when Islamic attacks began in Nigeria, 60,000 of our brethren and sisters have been murdered or enslaved, abducted. Just think of that. And in the year 2021, 360 million Christians have received hard levels of persecution, and 16 were killed daily. Do you realize how much they could have escaped that persecution? All they had to do was deny Christ. But how often do we deny Christ in our daily life? Oh, dear ones, if there's one thing that I would want to communicate for you today to have the same spirit of the Apostle Paul, when he said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, that Christ is my example, and I will press on, press on, press on to be more like him. And you will hear that again and again from this old sinner saved by grace. Because when you know something is true and you experience it, you want others to know that same joy, that same power, that same joy of knowing Christ in a very personal way. And when he says being conformable unto his death, it means be conformed to his image through suffering as in Romans 8, 29. You remember all things work together for good, even the suffering that we might be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, the Apostle Paul says, I die daily, and that's what we must do, die to the flesh, die to self. When you read 2 Corinthians 11, 23, 28, the, the record of Paul's suffering, as one commentator wrote, he lived daily, always ready to be delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. And that's what many of our brethren in these other countries, every day they live knowing that they can, it, it, it may there be their last. Now, the need to attain this goal. That was the desire. Now, the need to attain this goal. Where it says in verse 11, If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And what is he saying? I have not yet arrived. I have not yet, I, I have that need. And you can't, you can't meditate upon this passage without realizing what a, what a golden example of a Christian Apostle Paul was. But he said, I haven't arrived. And think of all that he suffered in Matthew, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, beaten five times by whips by the Jews, three times by rods in the deep for a day and a half, pearls of countrymen, pearls of robbers, pearls of just amazing but he could talk like this. And you can't study this without getting exercised, without saying, I want, to be like, I want to be like Paul's Lord. In verse 11, it says, if by day means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. What does he mean by that? Aren't we going to automatically be raised from the dead? It's not something that we work for. John 5, 28 and 29 says that the hour is coming when all the new graves will, hear, graves will hear the voice of the Lord and they will come forth, some who have done good to the resurrection of life and some who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. It's coming. What does he mean? Well, I'll tell you, it was such that John Calvin and others who have written commentaries on Philippines, uh, on Philippians, they do not address it. So therefore, what I have done I have satisfied for the explanation of the amplified version of this verse that I might attain the spiritual 
and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body, if by any means can be considered as an expression of humility on his part, to attain, to receive from another as ones do. And one thing we can be sure of, listen to this, I really want to speak on this, one thing. Brethren, I count not my, myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, this one thing, this one thing. You know how Pastor Bob is bringing a series of messages, but God, who would I love to hear him bring a messages on but one, but, uh, but this one thing I do. The, uh, David in Psalm 27, verse 4, it says, One thing have I desired, O Lord, that will I seek after, that I may do what? Behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his holy temple. Then there's this, that uh, a rich ruler that came up to, running up to Jesus said, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the commandment say? And so the rich young ruler began to uh, itemize all the uh, commandments. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack. He missed the 10th commandment. He missed the first four. He said, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. That was too much for him. That one thing, what is that one thing that's holding you back from giving your life completely to the Lord? One thing for this rich young ruler was the things of this world. What things of this world are holding you back? What one thing is holding you back from giving yourself completely to the Lord? And then as we go on, we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, that in that verse it says that the Lord was formed in the body of, in other words, I don't know exactly, but it says that the Father had the Son dwell in his, in his servant, uh, the Apostle Paul. Put in this language, the Christ made Paul his own. Let me repeat that. Christ made Paul his own. And now Paul wants to make Christ his own. But he hasn't arrived yet. He knows he's still lacking. And that's what is inferred in verse 12. Apostle knows he's still lacking. It's incredible as it may seem. But there still needs to be growth. Paul's saying there still needs to be growth in my spiritual maturity to be like Christ. That seems hard to comprehend, as I said before, with all that he's done. He wrote before, but the apostle knew the Lord Jesus in a very intimate way. And dear ones, dear ones, the more you get to know the Lord, the more you realize how far you are from being like him. The more you see your own sinfulness, the more you see your own flesh, the more you see your own self. But the more you draw closer to him, you see the beauty of who he is. You see his majesty, his glory, his greatness, his goodness, his mercy, his tenderness. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. But we're so prone to keep our minds and hearts focused on the things that are passing away, not on he who is eternal has given us the gift of eternal life and eternal glory. I'll tell you what the apostle wanted. You remember what it says in Matthew chapter 5 
and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you remember what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. But this is Proverbs 4.18. The path of the just shall shine more and more and more unto that perfect day. And that's exactly what was in the heart of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is saying, I have this need to be more like Christ and to be more Christ-like. So I'm just, again, I can't say it enough to each one of you and to myself. Let us from this day forth be determined that we're going to stop being focused on self, but be focused on Jesus Christ. Then there's a preparation needed to achieve this goal. Verse 13. One thing I... But it means to forget. I already addressed part of forgetting those things which are behind. What do you think Paul wanted to get rid of? By the way, I thought about this. Uh, the apostle had a lot of spiritual success. He had a lot of victories. But victory, success, does not make us more like Christ. Because we're more apt to, to rest in our victories. It's when we suffer for his sake that we become more like Jesus Christ. I think he was thinking, what was it? He said, I was an, uh, an Israelite, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin, uh, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, as touching the righteousness in the law, blameless. But he says, now I count them all but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is a law, but that which through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, which is by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. Not that I have reached, no, no. Not that I have reached that goal yet. And that's what verse 13 is of. The need, the need, the need. And the discipline, the discipline, the discipline to become like Christ. He says, forgetting. That word forgetting is a big Greek word, it's to lose out of line, to put behind one's back. An illustration in a negative tone is in Psalm 50, 17. A psalm of God speaking to the world. You have, I'm sorry. It's a psalm of God who is speaking to the world. Now listen to what he says. You hate instruction and cast my words behind thee. What the apostle want to put behind him? As I said, no doubt all that he attained in the flesh and his past failures in the past. You remember how he greeted uh, Barnabas and uh, Acts 15, 39, they got in such a fierce argument, they separated. I think Paul regret, re- regretted that. You know what's good for me? I hope it's good for you. I look to go, I'd like to go past my past life and think of some of my ugly sins. Why is that good? It magnifies the grace of God. It sees what the Lord did to pull you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. And it just encourages you to want to be more like Jesus.
in this verse, there's a complete emptying of himself. Almost like in uh, verse 7, there was a complete emptying of Jesus Christ to take upon himself humanity and to become a servant of the doulos for the, for the purpose of bearing our sin to his own body on the cursed tree, that he might pay our sin debt in full. And then he conquered death to show that he paid our sin debt in full and that we can have his righteousness. That's what it says in, in Acts uh, in Romans chapter uh, 4, 25. He was delivered for our offenses, but raised again for our justification. I believe he expressed his will, and, and listen to these words in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. Listen to this. He said, though my outer man perish, yet my inner man is renewed day by day. Well, I look. For though these light afflictions are but for a moment, yet there are working in, in him a far more eternal weight of glory. And that eternal weight of glory is to be more like Jesus Christ. While I look, not at the things which are passing away, for they are temporal, but the things which are not seen that are eternal. And that's, dear ones, the more I have my, uh, the goal of my heart focused on that which is eternal, the more I enjoy life, the more I want to serve the Lord, the more I want to be like him. And that's my message to you. We played Christianity for too long. Now it's the time we get down to business and realize if we're going to say, I'm a Christian, let us be followers of Jesus Christ. He did not tell us, accept me, accept me, accept me. He said, follow me, follow me. Fifteen times in the scripture, he says, follow me. The discipline to achieve this goal. Verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize that we just sang about here earlier. The prize. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It takes discipline, dear ones. It takes dying to the flesh. It's saying no to the flesh, but yes to our blessed Lord. When you think of all those illustrations that I gave, just think of how the discipline it took to keep their bodies in fine tune so that they could excel to the very utmost to achieve the goal that they were seeking. They did it for a perishable perishable goal. But we have an eternal goal, an everlasting goal, not just for a few months, but forever. If they can practice, 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 why can't we discipline ourselves and say no, no, no to the flesh, but yes to Jesus Christ? Yes, those illustrations that I gave oh they got a lot of notoriety that came from the public hurled in the news and hurled by many segments of society I remember when I was a sportsaholic I used to glory the accomplishments of sports teams and individual stars 
And the enemy of our souls is so astute and clever in getting the people of God to become wrapped up in that which is exciting of the flesh. At one time, the apostle Paul's life, when I said he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I mentioned that before, he looks up under this dung. Now he wants to gain Christ, his life, his kingdom, to share in his glory. He says, I press. That means to pursue. It's the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament. The idea is to persecute the body by exerting one's faculties to pursue with vigor like an athlete running a race like Eric Liddell did in 1924 when he never ran the 440 before. But he trained in that short time and he ran with all his heart and he won. Some of you might remember Eric Liddell, 1924. He got fame because he won run on the Lord's Day. Oh, if we might have more reverence for the Lord's Day, like Eric Liddell did. Where it says, toward, it's the idea of an aim. Like a, an archery takes aim at the target, let's go. He, that's, that's what our, uh, that's what our uh, aim is, our direction. A good question to ask ourselves, which direction, which goal are you aiming at in your journey through life? Which goal are you aiming at? What's the direction of your life? Think about that. I'm going to ask you again. What direction is your life taking? What is the aim? What is your purpose? What's your goal? That comes out here in our text. The mark of this message, that we say it again, Christ-likeness, that's the mark, that's the goal, the goal. Where it says that the prize, and that's only used twice in the New Testament, once in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, but here again in our text, and it's, it's, let me read it. Know ye not that that which is run and race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery, agonizomai, means to persevere in the midst of temptation and opposition, to take pains and make every effort to achieve the goal, and to, to be tempered in all things. They, the contestants, in a corruptible crown. But ours is an incorruptible crown. It's the crown of glory. It's the crown of victory. It's a crown of eternal glory with Jesus forever and ever. Dr. Lehman Strauss, commentary in Philippians, he relates the discipline of a writer to achieve success. Now listen to this. Lord Alfred Tennyson, the greatest English writer during the Victorian age of the 19th century, he spent 17 years on writing the composition in memoriam. Some parts he wrote 100 times, and when he released it to the publisher, he was dismayed by a feeling of dissatisfaction. What he did was for the public. He had the public in mind as he was writing. And to what extent do we exert ourselves to be like Christ? He did that to get a claim from, his, from the public. We don't do it to get a claim from the public. We do it to get a claim from Jesus Christ. To Look how this Alfred Tennyson, uh, a man who wanted to be the acclamation of the world's uh, hurrahs. What have you done to seek the acclaim of our blessed Lord? 
What have you done to die to self? What have you done to put Christ first in every area of your life? Notice it was a high calling, the highest you can get. It was a heavenly calling. I'd like to quote that verse if I can find it. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. There is no higher calling. And then in 2 Timothy 1.9, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose in Christ Jesus, which was given to us before the world began. For what? That we, that we should... <coughs> that we should be like him that we should be like him that we should be like him This high and holy heavenly calling comes from our future home, the redeemed of all ages. It comes from the highest place in the universe. And as I prepare for this, I just think, just think, the Lord God of heaven and earth, up there above all the, the highest point in the universe, he's calling for sinners like you and I to come to him. Just think of that. It's a high calling. It's a heavenly calling. It's a holy calling. He wants us to come to him. The first Adam lost it all. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, has gained it all back. And he wants us to be like him. Be done with these frivolous things that annoy and irritate us. Let's focus on him. And these other things will soon be rubbish. Dear ones, we have been called by the God of all grace unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness where Satan is prince to the kingdom of God's dear son. Oh, dear ones, just think of what God has did for us. Just think, just think. Why do we want to think about things passing away? Why don't we think upon him who is life and has given us life and has a glorious future? Why can't we get caught up with him? Apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived, but I am following after. I'm pressing on toward the mark for the prize. I haven't arrived yet. I have, Christ has called me for his own, but I have not yet made Christ my own. Have you made Christ your own? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Possible say, I have not made Christ my own. Have you made Christ your own completely? That's my question to you. If the Apostle Paul could say, Can we do less? Dear ones, I don't think I ever prepared a message that affected me as much as this did. I'm not saying this to impress you, 
I'm saying that when the word of God gets hold of your life, you can't be the same. You can't be satisfied with just going on and on and on. There has to be a transaction taking place in your heart that we, in other words, we call ourselves Christians. Let's act like Christians. Let's live like Christians. Let's let someone to be like uh, uh, Christ. A few words of application. There will always be the seductive charm of the world to contend with. It was true with the brethren at Philippi. Look at verses 17 and 19. Just look at the verses 17 and 19. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. That was going on in Philippi. And the same thing is going on in the church today. The world is coming in big time. And look at verse 19a. Look at verse 19a. It, uh, verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Now I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I'm going to list seven things that the apostle talked about hell. Listen. Matthew 8.12. Hell is going to be a wailing and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness. Psalm 18.9. Hell forever. Psalm 25, 46, everlasting punishment. Mark 3, 29, eternal damnation. Mark 3, 17, unquenchable fire. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, 9, everlasting destruction. Mark 9, 43, 49, the worm dieth not, and the flame is not quenched, means our our conscience will always be on fire. Jude 7, eternal fire. Uh, Revelation 14, 11, eternal torment. And Revelation 20, 14, lake of fire. Now listen to me carefully. This is the equivalent of what Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. Get that through you. This is the equivalent of what Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. And can we take that so lightly and so blightly? How can we say we know him if you do not desire to be like him? To know Christ is to love him and to desire him. And if we do not desire him, then who do we desire? Have we forgotten our divine appointment? Like it said in Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, that one day we'll stand before Christ and give an account of our lives. Have we forgotten that? Whether they be good or bad? One thing I can say without contradiction, when Christ is our goal for living, how wicked, how disgusting, how ugly are the things of this world system that has ensnared so many, which necessitates this question, are you ready to meet the Lord? Have you surrendered your life to his lordship and have you trusted in him for eternal salvation? I'm asking again, have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Because if you've not surrendered your life to the Lord, he doesn't know you. That's what it means to repent. And to trust in his atoning work on salvation, that's faith. And if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, see Anthony, see Brother Maury, and even this old sinner saved by grace. This is for real. 
Eternity is for real. And we either have his life or we don't. And we're either pressing on to be like him or we're not. We're letting the world afflict us if we're not, uh, uh, if we're, we're not pressing on to be like him. Like a bow and arrow. He's our mark. Yes, Jesus Christ is our mark. He's my mark. Is he your mark to live by? I will close with this illustration by Dr. Sandals Wimmer. Dr. Strauss's commentary on it. Now you have to listen very carefully. The smaller the circumference of my thinking, the shorter the diameter of my mistakes. Now you say, what's that? This is Strauss's, look Dr. Strauss's comment. This, he says, is a bit of spiritual, scriptural philosophy. Narrow down your thinking so as to concentrate more on Christ and less upon the things of this world, and you cannot lose. Let me repeat his uh, explanation of this doctor. Narrow down your thinking so as to concentrate more on Christ and less upon the things of this world, and you cannot lose. I was a little boy on a farmhouse in Langston, Pennsylvania. And there was a mark, a little, a little picture on the wall that I never forgot. Listen to it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me repeat it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What will last is we want to be more like him, for him, and to him. Oh, dear ones, let's with the Apostle Paul, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's devote ourselves to be more like him and less like the world and then see how Christ blesses his church. Almighty, eternal God, have your way in each one of our hearts. Do not let your word go through void. Discard anything that was not from you, but that which was from you, let it resonate, let it work, let it do a wonder in each one of our lives that we become more like Jesus. In whose precious name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.